athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. This song's dedicated to my homies in that gangster You're locked into the dopest show on radio from the press box to press row. I am your host, Donald Ware. Hope you're keeping safe wherever you are. And this coronavirus is extremely, I mean, it's been serious, but it, you know, it's one of those things where it, you, you understand, and I've understood the seriousness of this for obviously quite some time and and i was telling you guys last week you know i'm in this grocery store even uh on thursday and i'm i'm in one of the uh refrigerator uh or the aisles with the refrigerator so you open it to try to get what you want guy comes right next to me and opens the other door like stay away i don't understand what people don't understand about that wait till i'm done then come get the item uh, that you need but i'll tell you what it really doesn't I mean, it doesn't really hit home a lot of times until, um, you know, you're affected by it. So, you know, I um, last week um, I I got a text uh, from a a buddy of mine here in Raleigh. And it's a a, a gentleman, a guy that uh, we both know is a Howard graduate. He told me that he was on, you know, was at the hospital um, and on a ventilator uh, because he had the coronavirus. And I was like, wow. Um, but then he texted me maybe a day later, a couple of days later, said he was doing much better and that he was good to go. So I'm on Twitter, not Twitter. I'm on Facebook on Thursday and um, I pull up, uh, pull up my page and somebody, I don't even remember who it was, but said had a thing of rest in peace to Sean Boynes. And I've said, oh, my God, I couldn't I couldn't believe it. I thought at least last week that he was doing much better. But, um, you know, he passed away from this a year. You know, he's, you know, mid 40s. I mean, unbelievable. And a lot of times things don't really I mean, it it has it it, it touched home for me. Obviously, a buddy of mine up in uh, D.C., a Howard graduate is a pharmacist, as a matter of fact. So he's serving, you know, one of those that are essential to trying to help eradicate uh, this virus and uh, to really keep people safe. And, you know, he was a pharmacist and passed away from this awful, awful disease. And I think a lot of times it doesn't really hit home uh, until uh, uh, it, until it, it, it till it does, until it happens to someone, you know, and I, I and I don't know, reaching out to you guys. I mean, if it's affected someone that, you know, 
hit me up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Tell me about that or really on Facebook, probably more specifically where you have a little bit of more room to spread out on Facebook. You're not limited to a certain amount of characters. And, of course, you can reach us at on Facebook at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. But I really feel his mother is still living. I feel for his mother. Um, as a matter of fact, um, he was he was really good friends uh, with a with a, a great friend, probably my best friend growing up who passed away back in 2004. And uh, so that friend uh, of ours, uh, his mother is still living. So she has to sort of relive that is like it's like a son to her. So he has to, to relive that his mother still living, his wife and two daughters are still living this. I mean, this gentleman, again, Sean Boyne's full of vigor and life. And really a, a lot of what uh, I may I'm doing now and, and have done throughout the course of my career. And, and, and even more specifically, not only while I was in college, but prior to college, I owe a lot of that to him again. Uh, he's a graduate of Howard University. He, he as a ma- I remember going to it was a Howard and Coppin State basketball game. This was back in 94, the beginning of 94. The MEAC season had just started and Coppin State had a really good team. Uh, you know, Stephen Stewart was on that team and um, a bunch of guys. Coppin came out as a matter, as a matter of fact, because Phil Chenier Jr., uh, well, I think it was a sophomore. Uh, he was an underclassman. I know that on the Howard team. And I just remember Coppin State coming in there, a barrage of threes, came into Burr Gymnasium, blew Howard off the court. And that was sort of really my first introduction to that I can remember. Uh, I, I can remember going to Howard football games, as you, if you guys have listened to this show for any number uh, of years, you know my father. Actually, both my parents are Howard graduates, so I can remember going down to Howard and maybe going to uh, a football game, but at least as an adult on my own. It, it was the first time I had been to an HBCU game, and uh, the environment was uh, was awesome and you know Coppin State that's when I first learned about Coppin State and how good Coppin State was ultimately Coppin State had an awesome 90s Uh, Ron Fang Mitchell was the coach on that team for this particular game in 94 of course uh, you you know what Coppin did in 97 with the upset in the first round as a 15 seed And, and so that was sort of my introduction to to HBCU sports and more specifically to basketball uh, that I can really remember. Now, I happen to be, um, I, I remember one of the first HBCU football games I went to was at A&T when Howard played at A&T. I believe this was, this was 93, last game of the season. And Howard, it was overtime. Jay Walker, the quarterback, ultimately uh, Howard wins that game and in, in essence walk-off fashion, completing a perfect regular season. But, you know, that basketball game, again, an introduction uh, at least to basketball, because I think, again, like I said, that uh, football game was 93. So an introduction to basketball. But again, being out on my own with sort of the fellas, uh, it, it was great. And throughout the course of my career, even at Morgan State, when I would write articles for the or as a sports editor, actually of the, the Morgan State University spokesman, the student newspaper would write articles, commentaries, etc. He would give me feedback, uh, sometimes uh, critical of some of the things that I had to say at the time. And it helped, you know, it helped me to for my career to be able to, in fact, uh, at least as a young writer, 
you know, some of those things he would say, I would keep uh, in my mind. He was he was a, a year older than than I was, but uh, ultimately he had graduated uh, from uh, Howard time. I was uh, finishing up uh, at Morgan State towards the latter part of the 90s. But I tell you what, man, this thing, this coronavirus, man, I'm telling you, you got please keep safe, keep your distance. They recommend a six uh, foot distance if you can be further than that from people i'm telling you when i'm in these grocery stores i'm running from people like if you're going one way i'm going the opposite way if we're coming the same way i'm going the opposite way if i have if you're if somebody's in an aisle i need to get i'll go in the opposite aisle i'm telling you i, I mean this thing is really really serious so rest in peace to sean Boynt and um continued prayers to uh to his wife uh his daughters uh, and his mother and his entire family. Um, listen, we got uh, we're, we're going to get to some things today here uh, on from the press box to press for. As a matter of fact, uh, you go back, you think about the day April fourth, nineteen sixty-eight. So we're talking about forty-two, uh, excuse me, fifty-two, fifty-two years ago, April fourth, nineteen sixty-eight. Doctor Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Was assassinated in Memphis at the Lorraine Hotel and uh, something, you know, April 4th comes around. And I mean, it's just one of those dates. Obviously, I wasn't around at that time, but it's just one of those dates that uh, you'll always remember is growing up. If you're of a certain age and uh, even if you're not of a certain age, you'll always remember that date. And um, boy, I tell you what, the world was in a lot of turmoil. Uh, and I guess more specifically uh, in the United States, uh, and even more, not in, just in the 60s, but specifically in 1968. And um, so we just remember the life and times of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. All that he uh, was able to do for humanity, for black folks, the civil rights movement, for the poor. Remember the, the poor people's campaign, all of those things. Uh, we remember him uh, today, April 4th. Uh, when uh, that was, of course, 52 years ago that he was assassinated. So switching gears a little bit, joining us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row, we're going to catch up with Bethune Cookman head women's basketball coach Vanessa Blair Lewis as the Lady Wildcats. Another great season, finishing the season, uh, uh, winning the MEAC's regular season. She's done a great job while the head women's basketball coach at Bethune-Cookman again, Vanessa Blair-Lewis going to join us today here on the program. Your participation here on From the Press Box to Press Row. We always love you to participate. Hit us up via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two R-O-W. Again, how close to home has the coronavirus COVID-19 uh, come to you, hit you? Uh, you hit me up again uh, Twitter, Facebook, also on my personal Twitter account at dware one at dware one. Follow me while you're there. Also on Instagram at where Donald. Thank you to all of the great affiliates around the country that carry from the press box to press row. Those that listen to us in Albany, Georgia on W A S U. How about those that listen to us in Alexandria, Louisiana on K T T P. Those that listen to us on Sirius XM, channels 141 and 142, 
and those that listen to us around the world at BoxToRow.com. Um, already I'm up against the break. I want to get your thoughts. How close has the coronavirus situation, the coronavirus pandemic hit you uh, on Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. Up next here on From the Press Box to Press Row, Bethune-Cookman, head women's basketball coach, Vanessa Blair-Lewis. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. How did the Let's continue here on From the Press Box to Press Row. The Bethune-Cookman Lady Wildcats completed the season 23-6, winning another MEAC regular season championship and just completing her 12th season. As the head women's basketball coach at Bethune-Cookman is Vanessa Lewis-Blair, who joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Coach Lewis-Blair, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely, great to have you. Just, uh, just want to, uh, just you know, this is one of those uh, you know times and situations where everything is. I mean, it's just nothing like I don't think any of us have ever seen. Just want to make sure. How are you and your family currently doing? Well, we are doing well. We are listening to all of the you know ordinances that are coming down the pike. We're encouraging all of our players and you know and neighbors to just follow follow what's happening out there it's nothing to play with you know um i don't i just think that it continues to progress and you know everyone is just at our house is just staying very vigilant and following every protocol that's necessary for us to keep our family safe yeah you know one of the things you've been able to do I mean, you've had a lot of success, obviously, at Bethune-Cookman and uh, more, and especially more recently. And a lot of that has come uh, because of the players that you've been able to recruit. Um, how has recruiting changed or what are you doing differently now from a recruiting uh, perspective in light of COVID-19? Well, we have um, taken measures to do a lot of Zoom calls. Um, you know, the landscape may change, but the result still has to stay the same for our program. Uh, we want to continue in our winning ways, and everybody in the world is in this situation. So I always tell people when they ask me about, you know, what are you doing, how are you doing, well, you're becoming creative now or you're going to get behind. And so I think whenever there's, there's times in our world, in our society, where it can be challenging you have to look for the creativity and look for the opportunities and not the obstacles. So we're still getting it done. Yeah. I mean, anything you can share with us that, uh, that are, that, that you won't be giving away secrets that, uh, that you are doing creatively. Well, like I said, we're doing zoom calls. We're doing face-to-face calls with our entire staff and, and um, their families to recruit and their families. That's really all we can do now. Like we can't do anything off campus and, you know, there's surely no evaluations happening right now. So it's really for us just face-to-face contact. We're sharing what you're cooking tonight and seeing who had the best meal plate and taking pictures of it and who votes on who's the best meal. So, you know, we're just trying to stay creative and face-to-face as much because as much as there is social distancing, um, I really like to say it's physical distancing, but you still need that social interaction. 
Vanessa Blair Lewis is the head women's basketball coach at Bethune Cookman. Joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Coach Blair Lewis, let's talk about uh, this past season, 23 and six, uh, another regular season championship for the Lady Wildcats. Your thoughts on the season? Well, you know, we had a lot of goals that we set coming into the season, and um, our ladies were very focused. They were um, every day. You know, it's hard to say that when you're talking about 88 to 90 practices a day and your players being up for every single one of them. And I think we were led by such great leadership in Ashanti Hunt and Armani Walker, who are our seniors this year, that every single day we knew we came into practice and the girls were ready. It wasn't the coaches getting the players ready. And uh, they were ready for us. We were ready for them. And, you know, our goals really, we set them out at the beginning and individual and team goals. And our girls were able to knock down just about every one of them. Yeah, no question about I mean, you started off the season, you know, great. You started off the season uh, 4-0 and on the season, winning some, you know, some nice games. Uh, out of conference was you did really really well and then went 15 and one uh, in conference. Can you because a lot of times, especially when you talk about smaller schools, it's a, it's sort of an uphill battle. Uh, you play a lot of the bigger schools and so forth. Uh, but for you, you were able to get the season started off on the right foot, winning some uh, some non-conference Division One matchups. Yeah, and we try to schedule those on purpose. Uh, we schedule those matches that are going to get us ready for the conference. Um, so being able to put ourselves up against two other mid-major programs, you know, like Troy and Appalachian State and some of these other programs to get us ready, you know, Auburn and Alabama, you know, all of those were done consciously. And we wanted our players to, as we say, feel the heat, you know, so once the conference starts, they can be ready. And, you know, Donald, as you know, last year was a challenging year for us. Even though it was very successful, we were coming off of six knee surgeries. So some of those players like the Ashanti Hunt that returned, you know, this was their first time back on the floor. So we were trying to help get them ready to get back into a flow after, you know, recovering from ACLs and MCLs and meniscus surgeries. Can can you speak to how your experiences you know, helped you through this season over the course of your career. I mean, 12 uh, seasons now at Bethune-Cookman, a lot of seasons at, at your alma mater, uh, Mount St. Mary's, which we'll talk a little bit more about. I mean, that's a lot of knee surgeries to get through, a lot of injuries to get through, yet finish the season uh, with the, what, 23-6 and six record and 15-1 and one in conference play. Yeah, well, those knee injuries happened last season when we were able to take the, the university and the program to the first-ever NCAA tournament. This season, knock on wood, thank gosh, we didn't have to revisit any of those knee surgeries. But I agree, last year was very challenging. I have never in, in my 24 years of coaching seen anything like that. Um, and it was just all basketball-related. I mean, there was no goofy stuff happening off the court. You know, someone rides a skateboard and goes down no it was all basketball and you know it was just it was really challenging but every player looked at it as an opportunity like I told you every time we see a challenge we try to fight for an opportunity where's the opportunity lie and so it had been last year okay next man up next woman up 
we've got to fill this gap, we've got to fill this gap. And some of those chasms were really big because Ashanti Hunt was the returning defensive player of the year. So we had to put in Amaya Scott in that role as a sophomore to be the best, to be the player, to be the best, to play their best player on defense. And so this year, having that experience from last year made her an incredible player for us uh, that we could lean on defensively as well as offensively. So there were a lot of good things and positive things that came out of those challenges the previous season. Yeah, no question about it. You're talking about Amaya Scott averaging close to 13 points a game uh, for you. This was more of a collective, right? Uh, uh, It it wasn't necessarily any one player. This was a collective uh, group of young ladies that came together uh, for a common goal. Because, I mean, if you look at from a numbers perspective, a couple of uh, players scoring in double figures, but then you have a lot of players, you know, eight 8.4 8.4 points per game, seven points per game. It was just a collective effort by the Lady Wildcats in, in, in 19-20. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and that's how our team kind of changed. We went from the year before having an Angel Golden who, if she didn't get 20 every single night, we could lose. So we didn't have the pressure on one person. We were able to recruit and have flexibility and variety at every position. Where, where anyone and everyone could have the chance to have 20 points a night. So it made us very difficult to defend. It made us very difficult to prepare for because on this night, Amaya could have 20, but then the next night she had 10 and someone else, you know, D, D, Daniela Hatcher have 20. Or Shanti Hunt goes for 15, and then the next night Sierra Thompson goes for So we just were really uh, able to have a lot of depth at every position, and none of these girls were selfish at all. They did not care who scored or who had 20 or who was the player of the week. All they cared was that we did this together, which is what our team slogan was, Ubuntu. I am, therefore we are. And the, the thing about it, I think it's been one of the staples with you as uh, as the head coach. I mean, Opponents shoot just, I mean, it's, it's, they shoot just 36% from the field against you, 26% from three point range. Opponents average 58 points per game. You are outscoring opponents by 10 points a game. Speak to that uh, philosophy, the defensive philosophy uh, that you've implemented, which obviously bore fruit this past season. Yeah, well, I've always been a defensive coach. I was coached by my dad in high school, and uh, he was a defensive-minded coach. So it stretches back years where uh, defense was always uh, what we would stand on. And my dad would say every single night, I can't count on you making every shot, but what I can count on is effort. And so defense is effort. Yes, once you learn what you have to do and, and the roles that you play defensively, most of the time you can control defense because it's hard work and it's effort. And you can come in, and that's why a player off the bench can come in and be successful in my program because I ask for effort. And so when we were able to start getting to the point where our players here at Bethune-Cookman understood we're going to win a lot more games defensively than we will ever win offensively because I can't control that we'll ever outscore every opponent. But what I can count on is if we – dedicate ourselves to playing defense that we can hold our opponents. And there were years, Donald, where I didn't have the offensive prowess 
that we just spoke about. I didn't have the depth at every position. I had maybe one or two players that could score. So what we had to do was make sure you don't score. And there was a game I remember, Savannah State, I think the score finished up 37, 38 to 31. It was an incredibly watching paint-dry game. But it just showed, hey, I, I can't let you score more than me. So defense has been every player that plays for me know the only way they're going to get off the bench is if they're committed to effort on defense. Vanessa Lewis Blair is the head women's basketball coach at Bethune-Cookman. She joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Uh, the Lady Wildcats having another phenomenal season, finishing as MEAC regular season champs. We're going to step aside, take a break, come back with more from Vanessa Lewis Blair. You're locked into From the Press Box to Press Row. We're back here on From the Press Box to Press Row talking with Bethune-Cookman head women's basketball coach Vanessa Lewis Blair uh, on the program. I want to switch gears um, a little bit. Can you? What was? What did it mean to you? And you were a very good player uh, at Mount St. Mary's in Maryland, uh, and uh, you know was inducted into their Hall of Fame, inducted into the NEC uh, Hall of Fame. What did it mean to you to be the head coach there uh, for the years that you were there at Mount St. Mary's? Well, it was it, it meant everything to me to be able to play, you know, at a at a university that you love, and but more importantly, to be able to be asked to serve them in the capacity of the head coach at your alma mater was was great. I mean, it just was phenomenal to even be considered, um, especially at such a young age. You know, I was 24 years old when I was asked to take over that program, so um, there were a lot of questions like are you guys sure you want me and um, they were like sure so they had a lot of faith in me my coach had a lot of faith in me obviously as a player we did some incredible things and when he stepped aside and asked that I be his successor it just showed the amount of faith that that university and confidence had in me and and that kind of was really what I needed I needed to know that okay you're asking me to do this job but you really know that I can do it and so uh, we were able to just have a, a another great story continue on with the the accomplishments and achievements that had been set forth in this program when I was a player there and before I was a player. Yeah, nine seasons at Mount St. Mary's. What are some of the things that you learned at your alma mater at Mount St. Mary's uh, that you brought to you with Bethune-Cookman? And, you know, r- really, I mean, you, you had – some success early on, but, you know, you look really at the last six or seven years. I mean, this is one of the best programs in the MEAC. Yeah. Uh, I think the biggest thing that I was able to bring to Mount St. Mary's with me uh, was our family environment. Um, Our girls and our coaching staff, we were really close, and that meant a lot to the young players. That meant a lot to the parents of these young players that trusted me with their child and I was probably two or three years older than their child Um, and so we were able to form a a family of sisterhood type of a bond and and I knew that that was a lot of the reason for our success they knew I was in their corner more than just a person as a coach they knew I was there for them as a friend as a big sister you know as as someone who they could call at three o'clock in the morning and I would be there for them and so when I came to Bethune-Cookman, 
it was almost a really great natural fit because Bethune Cookman shared in those same that same ideology that we are a family. We look out for each other. And not just in athletics, the entire university embraces every student that walks on that campus. So I immediately felt like home and felt like this was a place I could bring that same philosophy to. And it has worked here too. These young girls, well, they're not two or three years younger than me now. They're a little bit more young, younger than I am. But <laughs> we still have that family bond. They yeah. can still call me at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm there. Um, they come over when we have our occasional meals at the house, and they spend time with our, kid, our kids. And, you know, we are a family. And I think that is another big reason for the success that we are continuing to have here at Bethune-Cookman. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, better team. Uh, the 23-6 and six team in 2009 and this past season, or your 24-17, and 17, uh, 24-7 team, from 2017-2018. Oh, wow. I got to put you on the spot now. You know, I, 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 I got to put you on the spot now. <laughs> Man, I think I got to say, can I, can I go with both of them? All, <laughs> some of them overlap, though. You know, Donald, some of them played this year. It's hard to choose. Like, each team is so special for their individual reasons. And I tell I tell our players this at the, at the beginning of the season every year, that you create, you literally you 13, 14, 15 girls, you literally are going to create this story of this season. You do it. I may have the ideas for it. I may have a game plan that I want to implement, but you're going to create. It's going to be a masterpiece that you're going to create this story of how it goes. So that 17, 18 team and this 19, 20 team, they both created so much magic, and it it just – was a beautiful thing to be a part of. I think that this year's team was very versatile, where, like I said, we had a lot of depth at every position. I could go into a game and, you know, if this player wasn't doing that well, I could bring another off the bench. But that 17 team with Angel Golden, and, man, it was fun to watch them play too. <laughs> Donald, I can't. You can't get me on the hook. <laughs> I, I, I love them both. <laughs> All right. All right, we'll let you, we'll let you, we'll let you slide. We'll let you slide on that one uh, for the time being. Okay. Um, you know, I think, I think one of the, you know, you, I mean, you on separate at separate times, uh, you know, you have had uh, children during the course of a basketball season and have still been able to have success. And I'm talking about more, really more recently. So, uh, can, can you speak to that and maybe, you know, how, how maybe some of the challenges in terms of of, of being pregnant and still um, having to uh, to coach, and, but yet at the same time maintaining the success that you've had? Well, you'll have to blame my husband for me being <laughs> pregnant during the season. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sum it up real quickly. I have the most amazing assistant coaches, and they were different assistant coaches during both of those terms of those pregnancies, but um, – I just tell you, like, every person that I have been able to hire to be a part of this program has understood what it is that makes this program go. And what that makes, what makes this program go is that we have to be a family and trust each other. And so there are times when, yes, I had to be away, you know, giving birth or recovering from giving birth. And you know what? I had not one worry in the world that these girls would not be taken care of 
and that we would not still continue to win. I really have to give it up for my assistant coaches. They have been incredible during my pregnancy. They just jumped right in, and we just kind of kept that ball rolling. Yeah. Yeah, a couple uh, last thoughts, a couple more thoughts with Vanessa Lewis-Blair, the head women's basketball coach at Bethune-Cookman. You were on a panel um, with respect to the Players' Tribune going back uh, back to 2018 with Dawn Staley and uh, Carolyn Peck and, uh, you know, some others. Uh, Speaking about the lack of black women uh, head coaches in Division One. Uh, interestingly enough, there I think an interesting dynamic is you have you know uh, uh, men that are, are head coaches at the Division One level, uh, but I just want to kind of get your thoughts uh, on the lack of black women uh, head coaches at the D one level. You know, I get asked that question a lot, and um, since that show, and it was it was very impactful. It was impactful to be there taking that with a lot of the giants in our game. You know, Carolyn Peck, who a lot of us looked up to, uh, when she won the first national championship as an African-American woman at Purdue, and now we're looking at uh, Dawn Staley, you know, in that same limelight. We watched her, you know, run the torch in for the Olympics and her career at University of Virginia. And then you used to have Felicia Leggett-Jack, who's up at Buffalo, and, you know, and Yolette over there at Ole Miss. And, you know, you're able to sit around in a room with a bunch of giants of this game that look like you, and you realize it's not that many that look like you. And we don't know why. You know, you, you we're not in those rooms with those ADs, that selection panel that make these decisions. Uh, but when I was asked this not too long ago on the China Robinson's podcast, I said, you know, they just have to be willing to be open and be open-minded. And I'm not saying, hey, we have to, you know, interject here the Rooney Rule in football, but interview us. Give us that opportunity to wow you, to get to know us. Um, And so I I made an example to LaChina that here I was at an HBCU, a black college, and I had an opening. And I already had my mind made up just because this was what I was used to. I was used to you know, someone that looked like me coaching with me. And I got a a resume from a young girl, and I got a call about her. And it was like, Vanessa, just give this young girl a chance. Like, just interview her. Just give her a chance to interview. And I did that. And that girl is now my associate head coach, and her name is Chandler McKay, and she does not look like me. I mean, she's tall and thin, but we are of different races. And when she came on the interview, she was – I was interviewing her and another candidate, and I just knew for sure I was going to take this other candidate because that was just my bias at the time. Mm. But when I interviewed her, I was blown away, and that's who I hired. And to this day, I'm still blown away. Wow. And so that's what I say. Like, sometimes we just have these norms that we're just accustomed to. But to open yourself up, there are a lot of young, young old, whatever, African-American or Asian or Hispanic coaches out here that could fill these jobs if just given an opportunity to be interviewed. Wow. Wow. No, very well. I, I mean, I think that's, you know, for you to even point that out, very forthcoming. Um, I, I, I applaud you for that. Uh, lastly, you know, I was, I was told to remind you that you've won more games than the Knicks the past two seasons. <laughs> It's crazy. What is uh, my sports information? Yes, director? Dan. He told me to. Dan, he, he told. Yes. 
<laughs> yes, he he reminded us all season that we were either one game ahead or one game behind, and you know it just kind of kept kept us you know laughing uh, during a, a really great story to run this year. Yeah, thank you, Dan. <laughs> Very good. Vanessa Lewis Blair, the head women's basketball coach at Bethune Cookman, two times in a row, has been named the Botchtero National Division One Coach of the Year. The Lady Wildcats winning another regular, a MEAC regular season championship. She joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Coach Lewis Blair, really appreciate you taking the time to join us uh, here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Want you and your family and the Bethune-Cookman community to continue to uh, stay safe. Continued success to you and the Lady Wildcats. I appreciate it, Donald. Thank you so much, and thank you for the tremendous honor. Uh, I really appreciate it. You got it, Coach Lewis Blair. Great to catch up with you. First time having Vanessa Lewis Blair here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Got a great program there uh, at Bethune-Cookman as the Lady Wildcats winning another MEAC regular season. We'll step aside, take a break, come back with more as you're locked into From the Press Box to Press Row. It's Donald Ware from the Press Box to Press Row. Welcome back to From the Press Box to Press Row. You can join us on the conversation. Hit us up via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. You want to react to anything that Vanessa Blair Lewis had to say, the head women's basketball coach at Bethune-Cookman. And again, mentioning that she was on a panel with five really prominent coaches, black women coaches in Division One basketball talked about the lack of black coaches at the Division One level. So any reaction that you have to anything she had to say, whether it was respect to that, uh, to Bethune-Cookman, the rise of the program, uh, hit us up via Twitter and Facebook. You know, I want to switch gears in the midst of the COVID-19 ec- uh, uh, epidemic or pandemic, I should say, and with respect to the future of of college athletics and then more specifically upcoming uh, college football. I mean, you look at you you look at basketball and the with the NCAA Division one men's tournament being canceled. That was a loss in revenue of about three hundred and seventy five million dollars. That revenue going to the schools, conferences Etc. So from a SWAC and a MEAC perspective, and of course, uh, uh, even uh, to an OVC and Tennessee State perspective, and then also to a Big South and Hampton perspective, um, that was a big loss. Maybe a little bit less f- uh, with respect to um, Hampton uh, and to Tennessee State because neither of those schools won uh, their respective conference tournaments, but certainly the SWAC and the MEAC had to cancel uh, its conference tournaments in the midst or in the middle of those tournaments. So that's a loss because there's a certain amount guaranteed uh, to the conference. And I, I don't know how the breakdown goes. I don't know if it's I, I'm, I would assume that the school would get a bigger share of the revenue that is guaranteed. So basically, when you win your conference tournament, the uh, the conference uh, 
gets a a certain amount or gets a check because the respective school is going to participate in the Division One tournament for every game you win. So let's let's say whatever school from the MIAC or the SWAC won it. Uh, if that that school participates, let's say because we've seen in the past couple of years that generally a MIAC or a SWAC school is going to participate in the uh, play-in or, or the first four, uh, as as they call it. But again, if you get a win in that first four, that's guaranteed money for moving on to the next round. So um, let's say that certainly was the case. Well, that's lost revenue to the SWAC. It's lost revenue to the MEAC and then uh, to a lesser degree, lost revenue uh, for Hampton and for Tennessee State in its respective conferences. $375 million lost behind the Division I men's basketball tournament. Looking ahead to the college football season, and we'll start on the FBS level. The USA Today had a great article that's uh, that surveyed some of the FBS Power Five. Eight. Well, they they surveyed a lot of the FBS athletic directors and uh, and and a lot of the Power Five athletics directors, and there was a consensus, really, at worst, that on the FBS level, if the effects of this COVID nineteen pandemic. That 2019-20 fiscal year uh, revenues would drop from zero to 20 percent and also 10 percent of those athletic directors polled. And as a matter of fact, 95 of the 130 uh, FBS athletics directors responded to this particular survey. And so that's pretty good. Uh, so that's a, that, that that actually gives you a, a broad perspective of what athletics directors are thinking as a whole. But 35 percent expected a decrease ranging from zero percent to 10 percent. But obviously the majority expected a decrease of zero to 20 percent. And that's for this fiscal year. Uh, so moving forward, what does that mean for football? And in reading the article um, it said that a Power Five conference, on average, averages about fourteen million dollars per football game. Fourteen million dollars per football game. And if you think about it, a lot of our FCS programs play some of these so-called money games. You know, get anywhere between anywhere between you know, probably I would say the average. Uh, would be somewhere between four hundred and five hundred thousand dollars. We've seen, you know, some schools maybe get three hundred, three fifty. We've, you know, we saw Bethune Cookman a couple of years ago when Bethune Cookman played Nebraska in the middle of the season. That game was arranged. What was that going back maybe to two thousand eighteen? Uh, they uh, the the wild uh, Bethune Cookman got eight hundred thousand dollars to play Nebraska. So when our schools or smaller schools are getting a chunk of that money game revenue. I mean, that, you know, that funds a good, uh, a, a very large part, as a matter of fact, of the total athletics budget. And more specifically, it funds some of the uh, most of some of, if not most of the non, uh, well, it funds the non-revenue sport, uh, your, your, you know, your, your, your volleyballs of the world, your, you know, your, your, your soccers and, 
and so on and so forth. So it, it, it funds those uh, particular sports. What does a cut or what does this pandemic mean for our schools, smaller schools, more specifically uh, HBCUs and the Division One schools moving forward? SWAC Commissioner Charles McClelland told HBCU Sports Podcast uh, on Wednesday, the host of that, of course, is Ken Rashad, that he he's very concerned about uh, perhaps the start of the season with respect uh, to the football season. Very concerned um, because, as he said, and is so true, I mean, September is a huge month. September is generally a huge month month for uh, for HBCU football because you have classic games. Uh, you have uh, guaranteed games. And then you have sometimes where schools will even pay opponents to come in to be able to get that gate uh, and get some of those games. So it's a huge month. So if the season is delayed uh, for any reason or those games can't be rescheduled, the guarantee games, which will get you anywhere from, you know, three hundred thousand dollars to in excess of maybe six hundred thousand dollars, that money is wiped away from respective schools. Um, you know, some of those classic games, which are guarantee games as well, uh, are wiped away from those respective schools. So it's one of those deals where you've heard the old saying, when America catches a cold, the black community catches the flu. Well, it's it's sort of one of those deals. Uh, if this season doesn't get started, you lose uh, on time. Uh, and those games, I mean, I mean, how do you reach unless you push everything back and you push everything back i mean it, it it's just so the, the the situation with this pandemic is so fluid that we really don't know but i'm just saying if the season for whatever reason wasn't to get started on time i mean that's going to be uh, a loss of it, it, you know it, it's so many variables going to be a lot a loss of a lot of money also when you look at it let's say you are able to play the games but you don't have fans in the stadiums i mean that that's a whole different deal right there although when you look at especially when you look at a conference like the MEAC has a good uh, package with ESPN in terms of all of the games all of the MEAC games are, are shown online so maybe there can be more revenue generated uh, that way but you're going to definitely lose loss uh, in in concessions ticket sales and parking which is huge for our school so this we, we got to keep our eye on this as a matter of fact we'll talk more about this over the next couple of weeks here on from the press box to press for i want to bring on maybe an athletic director or two to really talk about what that looks like moving forward even at some of the schools right now um, you have schools uh, and again in this particular article in usa today where some of the schools are cutting revenue so athletic directors are taking pay cuts and as a matter of fact iowa uh, figured that 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 i was going to have about a five million dollar shortfall in athletics has cut athletics staff uh, re, uh, uh salaries back uh to uh, to equal about three million dollars to help uh, uh to help in that sh- that five million dollar shortfall so i mean this is something we definitely have to keep our eye on and what that looks like moving forward for FCS schools. I mean, you know, and this is the Power Five deal. This doesn't even have to. This doesn't even have anything to do with the non-Power Five conferences or schools 
that play FBS football. And that's, you know, that's sort of the, the, the thing as well. If you're an FBS program, but you're not playing in one of the Power Five conferences, I mean, this is going to hurt you more. It's almost like uh, right now there's it's not a, a huge difference between non-Power Five FBS programs and FCS programs. And then, of course, when you look at the Division Two programs, what does that uh, look like for the Division Two programs as well? I mean, how do you make that up in the next year? And then, you know, even looking, do you make that up in 2021? So, for instance, Tennessee State just signed on to play Mississippi State in 2021. That's a guarantee you know how because FBS programs are now going to have to figure out how they're going to make up that money is that game still going to go on do you have more of these games where you we see more FBS programs playing each other in these bigger stadiums on national TV which will generate more revenue as opposed to playing the guarantee games how that contract with Tennessee State right now is that binding can Mississippi State say ah we don't we we don't want to do that we got a game against you know, an SEC opponent, you know, in wherever that's going to generate us more revenue to make up for the shortfall in 2020. So many questions that still need to be answered. And we'll talk about that or continue to talk about that uh, on the in the next couple of weeks right here on from the press box to press row. OK, so I, I reached out to an athletic director and got this response. Um, I'm not going to say who the athletics director uh, was but that person said all of us will certainly be affected in terms of revenue projections as we were currently finishing the budget planning cycle when the pandemic hit we had to reshuffle the deck institutionally most power fives athletic programs operate as independent athletic associations aligned to work and in, in quotations with the universities at our level we are auxiliaries still under the control of the institution. So as the institution has to shift its budget parameters, so do we. Again, under the parameters of the university, we've talked about this, uh, where athletics is a more of a marketing tool. Goes on to say, while we may not be leveraged as high in debt as many of those Power 5 schools, our revenue projections are equally as important to the bottom line of the institution goes on to say, if you are a program that must operate independently and charged with self-sufficiency, then the 20% loss could certainly affect revenue projections and obligations. If you are leveraged to the limit, I really appreciate that from that athletics director, hopefully from an AD's perspective at uh, our FCS HBCUs that will give you some perspective. Didn't make mention of this last week, but our thoughts and prayers are with the family of Curly Neal. The famous Harlem Globetrotter played his collegiate basketball at Johnson C. Smith. Also uh, is from Greensboro and went to historic Dudley High School who passed away on March the 26th. Thank you to Vanessa Blair Lewis, the head women's basketball coach at Bethune-Cookman for joining us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. For more information on the program, to listen to this show, log on to our website at boxtorow.com. And always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box to Press Row is presented by DW Communications.